We have uh, churches that uh, we gathered in the Manitoba Association recently and went through some leadership development materials to remind us that who we are in Christ, who he has made us, is our identity, not anything else, not our past, not our position, not anything else, and how subtly we can, we can let that shift into uh, taking over. Um, we have churches that are, are really seeking uh, seriously to represent the greater kingdom in the sense of multi-ethnic. Uh, we were in a church in Winnipeg recently where um, people who look like me were about a third of the congregation, number of folks. Another church uh, pastor told me, he says, we have seven different native tongues spoken in our church. And that was just a, a fairly small church. Then you folks are considering what God has for you next and considering even possibly relocating and uh, as you, you work towards that. We went through that as well in Jamestown. So what's an Iowa farm boy and a city girl from near Chicago meeting in Arkansas, uh, went to college and then to Sioux Falls and, and then to Linton, North Dakota for the first seven years and then the last 27 plus in Jamestown. I, I bring you greetings. A native daughter, Leanne Backlenko, uh, Gumkey. The three, I see those three little toe-headed boys every so often, um, uh, but just rejoice to see how they grow. But I want to just thank you for your impact throughout, not only Minot, but throughout the region and the world. Uh, thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support. Thank you for faithfully ministering the Word of God. The next slide shows a brief, um, a... Um, yeah, if you can go to the next one. Incidentally, uh, so there's, there's a guy. Actually, we're praying for him today. If you pray for the different items that are listed in a little prayer note, you can get this on the NEB Conference website. We're actually praying for Dr., uh, Reverend Dan Herringer. He serves as a regional minister. We're, we're praying today for Reverend Terry Holly from the Great Lakes Association, Dr. Bob Cron from the British Columbia Association. You can also find information there um, uh, a booklet called Onward. You can get this as a hard copy or you can look at it. And this comes out quarterly. We meet as a triennial conference in Edmonton in the end of July. Different things that are happening with the conference. Um, I want to end all those comments with this. It's really about changed lives, isn't it? And I think of the words of a little gal named Serenity. I think she's 10 years old, and she said to her pastor, she was being baptized on Easter Sunday, and she said, Pastor, isn't it cool that I get to identify with Jesus' death and resurrect, death, burial, and resurrection on the day we celebrate for Easter? And uh, she, uh, the pastor told me, he says, I was just floored by how much understanding this gal had uh, about what the Word of God is and what it does in our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for what you're doing. And as we break bread together, we thank you for your Word in our lives, your work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So you schedule a meeting with your boss, uh, Barry, and you ask him for a $20,000 raise, and he says, get real. Guys, you go up to the most popular gal in school and ask if she will accompany you to the prom, and she says, get real. You receive an email from a purported representative of a West African government official who offers you $10 million. There's your money for your new church, right? If you will provide some simple assistance 
including, of course, your bank account, and get real. We often use that phrase when pointing out that the requests or situation that others have are not really based in reality. In his instructions to the followers of Jesus, scattered throughout the Roman Empire, James writes this, and if you have your Bibles, if you'd open them uh, with me to James chapter 1, we're going to be going through those verses that were read earlier. But in verse 18, the one that comes just before the section we're going to look at, James says, of his own will, of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. What does that look like? The next verses that were read give us that kind of get real look of what it means when God's word of truth does its work in us. These verses naturally break into three portions, verses 19 through 21, 22 through uh, 25, and 26 and 27. They address some of the misconceptions that we can have about words, specifically about our words. Now, James' reference to the word of truth in verse 18 is a contrast with the desire that when conceived gives birth to sin, which when grown itself brings forth death in verses 14 and 15. So James is using words that he first, he uses the image of birth. He's talking first about what can happen when sin gives birth in our life, but then he contrasts that with what the word gives birth to in our life. When our will is made subservient to God's will, the word of truth brings forth not death, but as it says in verse 18, creatures which reflect their creator, the first fruits of that which God will continue to do. So what does that word of truth look like? James explains this in the verses which we've just read. These verses are the contrast, the realness of what it looks like when God does his word of truth work in you and me. Now, I'm not sure if you've got a listening guide or not, but we're going to have one come up on the screen as we, as we work through. God's word of truth work produces three things, and the first one is real righteousness. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all the filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, if you're used to highlighting in your Bibles, you would underline the phrase word of truth in verse 18. James describes it in another way here in verse 21 as the implanted word. You'd underline that as well. The implanted word, we read, is able to save our souls. In other words, it is already doing that. James is defining what he means by the importance of words. And what does he say? It's not about what we say, 
as much as it is about what we hear. He says we need to be slow. How? Two ways. In speaking and in and in becoming angry. Any of you have trouble with that? I do. Know what James says. When I insist on my words and my displeasure through my words, the result is not the righteousness of God. Now, anybody remember the, um, the movie Finding Nemo? There was Crush the Sea Turtle. You remember him? And he used the word righteous. Now, unless you're Crush, you probably don't use the word righteous very often. We just don't. When we hear the word or we see the word righteous or righteousness, simply think this, that which is right. Now, there is a little difference. James uses that word a little differently than Paul does. When James uses it much more broadly, Paul is talking more specifically about in reference to sin and, and our standing before God. But James is saying if we want to do that which is right before God, then instead of speaking and venting our frustrations first, we need to listen first. To what? We listen to each other. We listen to God through His Word, His implanted Word. It's already there, he says. And when we do, the, the filthiness and the wickedness that can characterize our words, our, our thoughts, our motives, he said, is replaced by a meekness, a humility to listen. We give then people the courtesy of listening. We commit ourselves to letting God's word grow in us. So if there were a Nike commercial... We might just say, just listen. We'll get, you're, you're one ahead of me. We're going to get to that one. Just listen and receive it. So what is the it? It's God's word, isn't it? God's word of truth work produces real righteousness. Just listen. And receive it. So question. If I don't stand or sit properly, someone may get after me for my, what? My posture. How do we develop a posture of listening? How will I develop that? That's one that I want you to wrestle with a little bit in, in the days to come. Second thing. God's word of truth works or produces real freedom. For God's word to do its good work in me, I need to basically shut up and listen, right? To others, but also to God 
and his word. But there's more. What does he say in verse 22? But be doers of the word and not hearers only. For if we do that, he says what? We deceive ourselves. Someone has said that's the worst deception is when we lie to ourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, is like a man who takes intent, looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Now that's quite a mirror, isn't it? That's hard to carry in your pocket. For he looks at himself and then he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Our temptation is to share our words too freely and not to listen. But another is to listen and then not do anything about it. James compares this to looking into a mirror and then ignoring. So I don't look that often. Hmm. I was going to take a look at myself there. Usually I tell people, somebody says I have a bad hair day. I said, well, I just got a haircut this last week, but I said, I, I just have a, a bad hair life. I just, it's, that's just the way it is. But sometimes we look, don't we, into God's Word, and, and it might be in a Bible study or something, and then there are all these great things that come, and then we just, it's like we walk away. James says that's, that's being a hearer and not a doer. God's Word is not just a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, but it's also a light into our soul. The Holy Spirit brings an unmasking of who we are when we spend time, don't we, in God's Word. We all know people who can quote this book better than we. Some don't claim to follow Jesus. Others are good at quoting it, but seem to forget it when it comes to how they do their business or or treat their spouse and kids or, or hide activity that they think no one else can see. In a week and a half, we celebrate our nation's birthday. We honor those women and men who serve so that we can enjoy those freedoms. We just prayed for Ben Klingbeil serving in South Korea. God's word, James writes, gives us real freedom. The word of truth, that that implanted word, is not something we simply keep on a shelf or or in a cupboard or or even in our brains. But we do what we hear, what, what God instructs us. And instead of a law of oughts and shoulds, when we begin to do it, we experience a law that is perfect, a law that is complete, one that leads to liberty, even freedom. That's not a life of dabbling in it, but it, it, it's entering it, isn't it? It's the long race. It's the race of life. We we take the long view. I was checking online this past week. I'd chosen the title, Get Real, several weeks ago. And I I was looking to see how it was used in other contexts. 
<laughs> I discovered to my surprise that it is a phrase for a title for a certain curricula urging people to express their sexual orientation publicly that doesn't agree with God's word. What I would call gender confusion and sexual enslavement. I find that ironic. So there's an important caution for us. For those who do not know the Savior, this word to them is irrelevant. Now we know that it is relevant to their lives, but they are not at the place yet where they can hear it. They need to see the word being real in us. So let's place ourselves under the doing of the word and then inviting others to come to know the Savior, then submitting to the Holy Spirit who does his life freeing work in all of us. God's word of truth produces real freedom. And now we get to it, just, just do it. Just, just do it. So, thinking about this one, how will I develop a posture of obedience? Obedience. Perhaps it starts with reading God's Word and spending time in it and meditating on it. But then asking the question, what one practical thing will I do as it relates to me? To a friend, with a family member, a co-worker, a fellow student. What is God doing and asking me to do alongside him in his work. Number three, God's word of truth work produces real religion. We don't use that word much. In fact, we tend to kind of shy away from that word because sometimes it has the connotation of that which is less than real. When it comes to words, we may want to share ours without first listening to others and especially to the Lord. We may look and listen, but then in effect lie to ourselves by not doing what the Word says, living perpetually in a state of being shackled to sin and Satan instead of the freedom God desires. But James says we can also use words that hurt others. Verses 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue. So I don't know what this would look like on me. I, I, I don't know, but, but, but you know what this is. What is this? It's a, it's a bridle for a horse. If we don't bridle our tongues, James writes, we deceive our own heart. 
this person's religion is worthless. Religion, rather, that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the word, from the world. James is addressing when we use words as weapons. James says that if we want to make an impact that directs people toward God our Father and not away from Him, then we need, we need to get a hold of, rein in this, this thing, the tongue. Now, James is going to talk more about that later in the, in the next chapter. But here he emphasizes the need to not so much emphasize what we say about our beliefs, but how we live them out. He gives us what? Two practical examples. One is the way we treat those without fathers, orphans, and those without husbands, widows. He says the way we treat those will communicate a message more powerful about our Heavenly Father than all the words that we can muster. Do we even pay attention to those who have no one else to advocate for them? Now, James uses the term visit. And when we think of visiting, we often think of going and perhaps having coffee or, or, or spending some time together, getting together at McDonald's or wherever it is that we get together. That is not a bad thing at all, but James is using the term visit in more of an Old Testament understanding. And with that understanding, it, yes, means going to be with someone. It means, yes, going to spend time with them. But it also means taking action that is appropriate for the situation. The other example of real religion that James uses is a, contra- is, 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 is a contrast for an out-of-control tongue is simply keeping ourselves, he says, unstained by the world. Now, that isn't easy to do. I was, uh, the place where we were staying this morning, I was peeling my orange, and, and the more I tried to peel it, the more I was squirting the juice all over, and so I was wondering if it was staining my shirt. I don't think, I don't think it did. But some things can really leave a stain in our lives, can't they? Some try to do this by somehow living separately from the world. It doesn't take much imagination to realize that words are also used to polarize people. Government officials, even nations. How do we avoid being unstained in this way. I have a suggestion. And that is perhaps the things that continue to stoke those verbal jabs and and hooks and, and, and uppercuts. Can we keep ourselves from being sucked into the vortex of the latest political hot button? How do the instructions of James, for instance, speak to the controversy that 
that we see lived out in our country right now, even when it comes to dealing with immigrants. So what is the solution I suggest for us? That we begin to spend as much time or more time in this word as we do listening to the alleged experts and pundits who tell us how we should think. Let this word determine your life narrative. Not the media, not a political party or or some other group. Rather, spend your time focusing on those who have no voice. That's real religion, James says. That's pure and undefiled before our Heavenly Father. We might say, just live it. Jesus said what? Let your light so shine before men that they may see that which is good in you and give glory to your Father in heaven. Peter says our lives should be such that people ask us about what is different in us, specifically about the hope that we have. God's word of truth work in us produces real religion. Just live it. Instead of using our words as weapons, let's give God our works as worship. He then receives the attention and the glory. So, the practical aspect. As you begin to think through this, to begin to list ideas of developing a posture of service. So if you belong to Jesus, how how are you allowing his life-giving word of truth to, to impact our words and our actions? If we do not know Jesus, will you heed the call of the one who is the word to turn to him to receive that good news that he is in charge. Will you receive it today? Let's get real.